This morning we read from Acts chapter 18. This is what is called and considered to be Paul's second missionary journey. At the beginning of chapter 18, he is in the city of Corinth. We pick up the story in chapter 18, beginning with verse 18. It says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. With him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Centuri, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And when he came to Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them and said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed on, at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, and strengthening all of the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos... A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning about Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those and, grace had, and had grace believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scriptures, through the scriptures, that Christ was Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you use your word in our lives as it has been done for thousands of years. Your living spirit through your living word into our very lives. So for this week, this day, and this hour, Lord, may your work do its full work in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know exactly how I feel about being the least talented person who gets in front of the church every week, but um, there I am. Uh, actually, it's a great joy uh, to be surrounded by folks that know what they're doing and use their talents and bring their gifts in the way that our team uh, here does on Sunday morning. Uh, your week's been all right. Michael already asked you that, but uh, it's good to see you, and it's good to see more and more folks coming back. Some of you back for the first time. Some of you will be uh, that are online today. Maybe you'll be back next Sunday for our resurrection celebration, but it's good as our church just kind of regathers. It's a good season. It's great uh, just because it's good for the church to be together into one place. And it's also just good because we miss each other. Uh, we miss seeing each other. Every time we come in, it's like, oh, it's great to see. Oh, man, it's fantastic to see you. Even if you have to stop for a second or two and say, now, who's that behind that mask? I'm pretty sure I know who that person is, but I haven't seen them in, in two months. They're wearing a mask, and their hair does not look the same way it looked the last time I saw them. So those are issues that we have to kind of work our way through, but it is good to, to gather together uh, again, and we're so glad to be able to do that. We're looking at Acts chapter 18 
this morning. Uh, back in the day, there used to be a couple of television shows on television. One of them, if I remember correctly, was called A Baby Story. And one of them was called A Wedding Story. Now, the truth is, I don't own the box set to either one of these shows, but I do kind of remember them for a couple of reasons. One, when they were on TV, we were kind of in that season of life. We were having our kids. We had just gotten married. And so that when that show would kind of be on, you'd kind of see it. The other reason why I remember that show is because it was one of those shows that the channel would just play it on a constant loop all day long, sun up, sun down. It was one of those episodes. Every time you kind of flip through on the channels, it was always one of those episodes. The, the, the shows were really successful because they kind of connected you to the story of somebody's life. You would be able to walk through and see the backstory of, of their journey. You would see some of the obstacles that that family or that couple faced. You would see the joys that they experienced. And in watching that, you would kind of be able to connect in at some point. It would be relatable in some way. And so we would watch it in that sense. Now, what I've been waiting for is that they had the baby story and they had the wedding story. What I've been waiting for is for them to release the, the season of the church story. Now, I've been waiting a long time, and they have not released the church story. So I'm going to have to take this into my own hands, and we are going to do season one of the church story. And we're looking at the church in Ephesus. And what we're going to do is that we're going to take a look at the church in Ephesus. We started a little bit last week. What we're doing is looking at the church in Ephesus, trying to understand their backstory a little bit, understand some of the obstacles that they face, see some of the joys that they experience, and then listening and and seeing their story, we can step into that story and we can relate to that. And we can look at that and say, I've been down that road. Oh, that was great when that happens. Oh, I, I would love for that to happen in our story. And so our journey here is to walk through the story of Ephesus all the way from their first days of existence all the way to one of the last mentions in the entire New Testament. We walk through the story and say, what about that church that was there in Ephesus? And there's just a little bit that we listen to and say, and what does this have to say for that church in Hammond. Are you ready? Well, I'm going to start anyways. Uh, so here we are. Uh, we're going to take a look at this church in Ephesus, looking in Acts chapter 18. Uh, the first thing I want you to see about this church in Ephesus is that it is a church that faced extraordinary obstacles. It is a church that faced extraordinary obstacles. You know, you kind of look at it and say, boy, is this going to succeed or is this going to fail? And the truth is, is that sometimes once something is established, once something is in place, you kind of look back at it and say, well, of course they were going to succeed. Of course they were going to make it. Of course they were going to survive. But that's only because we see that in hindsight. If you were to walk into those opening days of that experience, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a business, whether it be a church, whether it be any kind of operation, sometimes those opening days, are scarier than we remember them to be. And for the church there in Ephesus, there was nothing about their circumstance that said this is going to be an obvious success. Of course they're going to make it. A couple things I just want you to notice just from what we see in the text and just around the text. One, this is one of the later churches that get planted. We, we kind of see that this is in the second missionary journey that Paul takes, and it's on the backside of 
Paul's missionary journey. And if we're honest, if you read that kind of carefully, Paul doesn't seem particularly that interested. He, they, they ask him, Paul, will you stay and help us? He says, yeah, I got to go. And, and he says, I'll be back if the Lord wills. And that, that's not even a really strong commitment. He doesn't say, boy, I, can, I promise you, I'll be back no matter what. I, I, I'm going to be, oh, this is so important. This is a priority. He just kind of says, I'll be back. You know, if, if the Lord wills, sure, I'll be back. We also see this as Ephesus is a city that is a hyper-pagan city. It is a city that has one predominant god called Artemis. And, and Artemis is a big deal. There's a giant temple in the middle of the city. That's for Artemis. The entire economy is built around the worship of Artemis. But it's not just Artemis. There are 18 to 20 other gods that have statues and have uh, inscriptions that that city worshipped all of those gods. That doesn't even take into account the emperor worship. It doesn't take into account folks that were just so busy with business and economics that they didn't bother to do that. They didn't bother to worship in any way. This is also a city that had a strong anti-Jewish bias. And all of the people who were the beginning of the church are all Jewish. And so this city has this strong Jewish bias, but it's not just the city that has a strong Jewish bias, but the Jewish community in Ephesus becomes immediately an opposition group against the church that exists there. This is a church that has so many things going up against it. Once the church gets started, it faces more doctrinal confusion than we find in almost any other church in the book of Acts. The people who start the church, they're part of founding the church, not a single one of them is from Ephesus. They're all from someplace else. Not only that, the city of Ephesus is just too big to have an impact on. There's 200,000 people. It is a massive city. And how do you walk in with just a handful of people and say, we're going to change this city for Jesus? So many different obstacles. Funny, it seems as though that there's a lot of obstacles that stand in our way today, isn't there? It seems as though we live in a time and a place where there's more obstacles to the faith than there have ever been before. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know where I land on that question. Because I do see, as well as anybody, tons of obstacles. But I also take a look at Scripture and I look at history, and man, there's always been obstacles. So I don't know whether this is a season that has more obstacles than other seasons have had. I know that it's not easy. And I know that if we're going to be the church that Jesus designed us to be, we're going to have to fight through some stuff, and there are some things that are pushing against us as we're trying to move forward. But I was texting this week uh, with our chairman of the deacons, Dylan Morrison, and we were just having a very brief exchange. Uh, but the word that Dylan gave to me, he says, you know, when I get discouraged, or when I get frustrated, he says, what I like to do is I, make, I like to make a list of all the things that God can't do. Just kind of stop, get a little paper, get a little pencil out and say, okay, start a little number one. Things that God cannot do. And the reality is, the list doesn't take very long to complete. 
Because there's nothing that God cannot do. And so here the church in Ephesus faces all kinds of an uphill climb, all kinds of obstacles. Are they going to make it? Well, remember, we have a God who knows no obstacles. We have a God who is never limited or intimidated or overpowered or overwrought by anything that's happening against them. And so if we're going to be God's church... If we're going to be his people, then we move in his authority and his power and his strength. Which means that there's no obstacle that stands in our way. And there's nothing that God cannot do. So whether we consider our obstacles to be greater than an obstacles that Ephesus faced or greater than obstacles a generation ago faced or a generation or two ago again faced, it doesn't matter. Because our God is bigger than all of those obstacles combined. Now as we take a look at the church in Ephesus, I also want you to see that this is this may be my, one of my favorite parts of the whole message this morning. What we see is that this church was founded, started, built by regular people. It was started by normal, regular, everyday kind of people. Hey, in fact, remember we talked about how Paul seemed disinterested? When Paul was there, he seemed like the kind of person who in the middle of a conversation with you kept checking his watch. He just got, I got to go. He kind of look at somebody and say, well, what do you got? You got a, you got a bus to catch? Well, in Paul's case, it's quite likely that he had a boat to catch. It seems as though Paul was trying to get back to Jerusalem, and not just to get back to Jerusalem, but he wanted to be there for Passover. And if he wanted to be there for Passover, he had to travel at a certain time of year, and there was a shipping season where he needed to get to, and so he was really kind of committed, said, listen, I'm going to preach, I'll pre teach, I'll, I'll, I'll do some stuff here in the synagogue, but, but uh, I got to go, I, I got to go, you know, I, my boat is leaving any minute now. And so Paul really is highly distracted in the short period of time that he's here in Ephesus. So what happens what happens is that the church is left in the hands of two people who are named Priscilla and Aquila now Priscilla and Aquila I think are two of the most fascinating people in the book of Acts as we take a look at them they are business people they are tent makers they have traveled quite a bit in their own personal journey because they are originally from Rome but they have been kicked out of Rome and have you all ever been kicked out of a city any of you have been sold don't come back here you're not allowed here uh, anymore Priscilla and Aquila had been kicked out of of Rome. Now there was a edict from one of the emperors that they had kicked out all of the Jews from Rome. And historical sources tell us the reason they got kicked out of Rome is because they were arguing about somebody named Crestus, which we would just see as a misspelling of Christ. And as we see in the book of Acts, there's constantly these arguments about whether Jesus is the Christ or not the Christ. Well, apparently that noise got so loud in Rome that the emperor just said, all the Jews have to leave. And so Priscilla and Aquila are a couple of the Jews that get kicked out of Rome. They, they end up in Corinth, and when they're in Corinth, they meet Paul. 
Now they meet Paul because Paul is in the same business that they are in. They are tent makers. And while Paul was in Corinth, he had to earn his own living. And so he went into the marketplace. And in that interaction, they were both not from Corinth. And they were both selling tents. I don't know whether they started out as, uh, as rivals in business. But whatever it is, business drew them together. Now, we're not sure if when Priscilla and Aquila arrived in Corinth, whether they were believers in Christ or not, but what we do know is that when they left Corinth, they were believers in Christ. Because what happens is that Paul spends his season of ministry there in the city of Corinth, and then he leaves, and Priscilla and Aquila follow with him. And so they go from Corinth to Ephesus, and this is where they are. They, they have been working with Paul, both in terms of their their secular business, but also in terms of ministry. They make the journey across the sea, and they're in Ephesus, and Paul's like, I got to go, leaving Priscilla and Aquila in place. Another one of the things that makes Priscilla and Aquila unique is that they are, they are a ministry team, a husband and a wife. And it seems as though they are at least equal partners inside of their ministry. The, Priscilla and Aquila are both key components of the ministry team that functions there. And in fact, there's some evidence that Priscilla, Mrs. Priscilla, is actually the lead person because they are listed as Priscilla and Aquila very often. And that means that her name is first, that she is the lead person. Now, whatever happens, that when Paul leaves, here it is, Priscilla and Aquila, they have been just kind of Paul's right-hand and left-hand person. They've been helping Paul out. And now Paul's gone. He just kind of hands it to them. I wonder what they felt when that happened. I wonder what kind of crossed their mind when, when Paul says, okay, I'll see you later if the Lord wills. I'll catch you guys later. Um, and they just stay, and here is this whole city of 200,000 people. It's your task. It made me think of sometimes when we have one of our Christmas musicals or our Good Friday musicals, and Brian fills up this whole place with a choir that reaches from one end of the room over here to the other end of the room. We've got orchestra filling up all of this space, and, and Brian's out here, and he's conducting, and he's got that, that baton that he keeps in a case. I think that's really one of his real boss moves, that he's got a, a case for his baton. I really, really love that he, that he has that, and he's conducting away and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden Brian looks at his watch and says yeah I need you to take over this and he hands you the baton and says I, I got a boat to catch I got to go kind of make eye contact it, it'd be like when I sang happy birthday the other day man it just it wouldn't go well what if in this moment uh, I tapped AJ and said, you know what, AJ, I, I got to go. Can you finish up this sermon for me? And I just kind of walked. Man, what did Priscilla and Aquila feel in that kind of moment? I'm sure that there was a sense that they would have felt, I can't do this. This is too much. I'm not able to do this. Are you kidding? You're Paul. I'm not Paul. How am I supposed to do this? But here's the surprise. They were able to do it. 
And let me tell you, there are things that you're capable of doing that you would be surprised what you are capable of doing. In fact, last Sunday, we took a look at that passage there in the middle of Ephesians, from Ephesians chapter 4, and talked about the fact that God gave the prophets and the evangelists and the, the apostles and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Here we see that lived out at the birth of the church in Ephesus. Here was the apostle who would equip the saints, Priscilla and Aquila, to do the work of the ministry. And this church exists because a couple of tent makers were ready to take the baton when it was handed to them. You would be surprised what you're able to do with God's empowering inside of your life. Can I take this one step further? Based on that passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4, there's a little bit of a surprise that God is surprised that you haven't picked up the baton. She says, I've gifted you. I've equipped you. I've designed the church to be a place where the regular people do the work of the ministry. And a church never succeeds just because they've got good staff. A church, the gospel, the kingdom spreads because regular people grab the task and they do it. Even when they feel like, I can't do this. Now you may say, I'm not ready. I, I don't know how to do this. I'm not equipped to do any of those things. I can't do the baton thing. I, I can't take over mid-sermon. I, I can't. And there's a whole list of things that you can't do. Now, one of the TV shows that that's been a, that has been a favorite TV show of ours for a long time is called The Amazing Race. Anybody ever watch The Amazing Race? There's usually two people that they travel the world and they got to go from one place to another and it's kind of, um, well, a race. Um, and, and they go and they, they, they go to different places around the world. Now listen, this show's been on like 30 seasons. Now I'm going to give a pass to the folks on season one, okay? They'd never seen the show before. But every year, they land up in some European city, and they have to drive a stick shift. And every year, the team's like, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And I'm like, have you not seen this show? Every single season, you have to drive a stick shift. Before you get on the show, take 45 minutes and learn how to drive a stick shift. It's, it's going to be in the show. I promise if you're going to be on, the, and this goes for you, if any of you are auditioning to be on The Amazing Race, 45 minutes, learn how to drive a stick shift just a little bit. Now, now the reason that I say that is that when I talk about the fact that the church is built and empowered and strengthened and lived out by regular people, our reaction is to say, well, I can't do that. I don't know how. Well, learn. 
If you know down the road the assignment that's going to come to me is that I'm supposed to be part of the work of the ministry, learn how to drive a stick shift. Learn. Be, be saying, wait a minute, this might fall on my shoulders one day. How can I learn how to do this task? You'd be surprised what you'd be capable of doing. The third thing I want you to notice about this church, and that is, that is that this church learned how to do the hard things. This church, see, this church did the hard things that make a big difference. Here's the funny thing. The, big, the things that make a big difference can sometimes be small things, but they're hard things. Years ago, I had a friend of mine who the wheels kind of fell off. Now, I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, literally, he was driving and the wheels fell off of his car. Now, I don't even, this happened so long ago. This was when I was in high school. This was one of my buddies. And I wasn't there. It didn't happen to me. But there was something about when he described this picture of driving along and the wheel fell off that still bothers me to this day. Now, I don't know exactly how that wheel fell off. I wasn't a mechanic then. I'm not a mechanic now. I haven't spent any time as a mechanic in between. I don't know exactly what happened that caused his wheel to fall off. But I do know that those little lug nuts matter. And I do know that if you will only tighten those lug nuts till it stops being easy, you're in deep trouble. There are some things in this life that require a little grunt and a little sweat. And if you just kind of spin those lug nuts and say, oh, they stopped. Oh, that one stopped. That one stopped. That'll do it. The wheels are going to fall off. There are some things that we have to do as believers in Christ. There are some things that we have to do as a church that we have to push past the easy points. I want you to watch that in Priscilla and Aquila here in a couple of ways. There is the introduction of Apollos. Apollos is, he's brilliant. He comes from Alexandria, which is basically like coming from Harvard. He's well educated, and when he speaks, he has a golden tongue, and it just makes her, and he's passionate, and he's great, and he knows so many things about Jesus. And when he begins to talk, crowds begin to follow. But we don't get a lot of the detail but there's something that's incomplete about his doctrine, about his beliefs. And so Priscilla and Aquila have to come to him and say, Polly, come here. We need to talk about some doctrinal issues that you're dealing with. Can I just tell you that the doctrine is hard sometimes. And sometimes as believers, we make this choice in the world of doctrine between two different ends. One end is that, you know what? It's too hard. It's too complicated. We're not going to touch it, and we're not, we're not going to deal with doctrine. The other side of it is that some people use doctrine as a weapon to divide and to, to be critical and to fight over constantly. 
we're pretty sure that we don't want to be a people who are fighting over doctrine all the time. But we also can't be a people that has no sense of doctrine. There are borders and boundaries to our faith. One of our favorite parts of our drive home to Florida when we would go home to Florida or when we would come this way to Louisiana is that there in the middle of the panhandle is the place where the time changes. It's between Tallahassee and Mariana. And the time changes. You go from Eastern Standard Time to Central Standard Time. And there's a sign that says, you have changed times. And we're always kind of either gaining an hour or losing an hour. So did we pass the time change yet? Did we get to the time change yet? And so we'd always, that, that moment was always a big deal. But now is kind of a fun game because your, your phone will automatically change that time as you drive by that sign. And so when we're driving with the four of us, we kind of have a contest because we're that kind of people. We're competitive people. Maybe it's just me. But we have a contest to see whose phone adjusts time first and whose phone adjusts times last. Now the reality is because it's telling you that there is a border here. You used to be in Eastern time. Now you're in Central time. It, there's a border, there's a line right there that fascinates me. Doctrinally, there are borders. And you move in and say, this is the true teaching of Jesus Christ. And if you wander in the wrong direction, there's another border that say you are outside of the true teaching of Jesus Christ. Now it would be great if there was an app on your phone that would go ding. You have, you have left the boundaries of true doctrine. But there isn't. And that's where Priscilla and Aquila had to come in and say, Apollos, come sit down with us. We need, you to, we need to explain this to you a little bit better so that you will understand. Now listen, that was not easy because Apollos was an educated person. They were just tent makers. Apollos was already getting a great following whenever he taught and explained things. Apollos was passionate. All great things. He just happened to be wrong. And they had to sit him down. Because doctrine inside of a church matters. We hold on to our message tightly. Sometimes we hold on to our methods loosely because those can adjust. But our message, we hold tight. And so Priscilla and Aquila said, hold on, we got to make sure these boundaries are tight. And that's hard work sometimes. But another thing that they did here is that they disciple Apollos. They say, Apollos, let us teach you. It's the same thing that Paul did for them. They were just a couple of tent makers, but now they, they put their lives together and they travel with Paul and they are learning from Paul so that when Paul leaves, they can take the ropes. And so now they come across Apollos and say, Apollos, let us teach you the things that Paul taught us, that the apostles taught Paul, that, that Jesus taught Paul, that God has delivered unto us. Because it is the task of the church to disciple and to build people up from their spiritual immaturity until they have reached the fullness of the measure of Christ inside of their lives.
that's a tough task in the life of a church. But I believe that that is the core task of the life of a church, to move people from not knowing Jesus to being immature in their faith to the progression over all of their years so that they can reach the full measure of the full stature of Christ in their lives. And watch what happens. They teach Apollos. And when Paul, Apollos wants to go back toward Corinth, they give him a letter of recommendation because they can say, he is a valuable teacher. Listen to what he has to say. Sometimes a church can be good at saying, these people are right, these people are wrong. But our task is to take the people who are wrong and to teach them how to be right. That's what the church in Ephesus did. Let's think about what this means to our lives today. You know, one of the things is it's really kind of hard to know what Apollos' doctrinal issue was. If you go back and see this description, man, he is wise. He, he, he has been taught in the way of the Lord. He is fervent in spirit. What is missing in his experience? Well, there, there's quite a few folks that have different opinions on this, but, but here's my best reading of it. Apollos knew all the facts about Jesus but he hadn't had an experience with Jesus. It says he knew the baptism of John. That's the baptism of repentance. But he hadn't experienced the baptism of acceptance where he discovers that Jesus receives him as he receives Jesus. So even though he is this fantastic teacher with all of this knowledge and passion, he doesn't know Jesus personally. Man, I'm telling you, there are lots of people who know all the facts about Jesus. And they may even know how to sing the songs passionately in fervent spirit. But they've never had a personal experience and encounter with Jesus from the inside out. And so church, friends, if you have never had that encounter, man, let me just pull you aside just for a moment right now. Let me be your Priscilla and Aquila and say, listen, knowing the information, being present in worship, all of those things are good. But you must be born again where you give your life to Christ and he receives it on the foundation of his death and resurrection. And if you've never done that, then you can do that before I finish this sentence. Michael's going to be out in the hallway this morning. Man, he'd love to pray with you. We've got a couple seats set up over there. He'll be there. You can catch me here in the foyer. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I know that my sins stand between me and you. And I ask for the forgiveness of those sins. And I want you to be in charge of my life as you come and live inside of me forever. That's the conversation with God. 
Not necessarily with me, not necessarily with Michael. We're here to help you have that conversation. But that's a conversation that any of you can have any time with him. A couple other things for us to think about here is that I would encourage you, similar to what we said last week, to just say, I'm ready to be used. I don't know how. I, I, I don't really have a picture of that yet. But I want to be one of the regular people. I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a goal in life. I want to be a regular person. I, I want to be one of the regular people that moves the kingdom of God. Man, would you let that grow inside of you and then would you let that burst out of you as God leads you and the Spirit of God pricks you and says, this is it, this is the assignment, this is what I want you to do. And then thirdly, I would just encourage you, man, learn, learn. You know what's one of the most motivational ways to learn something is if you have to teach it right afterwards. Our young adults had an activity that they did over their phones uh, over the last couple of months, and that was that somebody told a story, and they videoed it and sent it to the next person. You were supposed to watch the story one time and then retell the story and send it to the next person. Watch the story one time, retell it. Let me tell you, well, when you get that story, you are listening so carefully so that you can repeat that story. Let me tell you, well, when we come before the Word of God in your small group and in your Sunday school class and in worship and when you're studying the Word of God, would you listen and engage with that knowing that you might be called on to teach that very truth in the near future? You're not just here to get your attendance checked. You're not just here even just to be encouraged. You're here to be equipped so that you can do the work of the ministry that God has for our church to do. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for you to do a good work in this church. Lord, we ask that you do a strong work across the regular people who sit in these chairs, who watch from home right now, but who make up Woodland Park Baptist Church. Oh, Lord, would you build up this church. Lord, would you give us confidence that these obstacles are nothing compared to your power and your plan and your priorities. Lord, may we find that in you. Pray it in your name. Amen.